Before we get started with today's podcast episode, I wanted to clarify something real quick. So in this episode, we talk a little bit about how the pandemic has led to a rise of xenophobia and discrimination against East Asians. And, um, you know, thinking about the shooting that we had in the Atlanta spa, a hate crime against Asians in Georgia a couple days ago. We weren't able to talk about that during the interview because I did film this a while ago before the shooting happened. So that's the reason why we did not talk about it, but it is really important to discuss. And so I'm glad that my guest was able to come on and talk about the xenophobia and discrimination that East Asians have been facing as a result of this. So um, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Welcome to The Bright-Eyed, a podcast dedicated toward empowering our generation. Each week, I interview teen changemakers who have a purpose, a passion, and are doing something about it. We are more than capable of changing our world for the better. Let's see who's rising to the occasion. I'm your host, Daisy No, and this is The Bright-Eyed. Welcome to The Bright-Eyed. Today's guest is Sarah Kuo. She's a Chinese-Canadian international baccalaureate student in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I did it. She is a strong believer that change starts with oneself and her work is a reflection of that mentality. She has worked with startups, art directors, and even painted a mural for her local community, which is amazing. Uh, She has also been featured on CBC Kids News and was a keynote speaker at multiple conferences. Welcome to the show, Sarah. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I said this when you came on the call today, but I am a huge fan of poetry. Absolutely love it. Um, and so I, I'm very excited to get into your book. Um, speaking of which, you published a book titled One Point in Time to All Asian Youth um, back in November of 2020. And fun fact, it was ranked number 25 in Asian literature on Amazon, which is like absolutely phenomenal. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about it? Okay, so I created this book, like you said, back in November in response to the increasing xenophobia and discrimination towards the East Asian population during the COVID-19 pandemic. So um, I, on the news, I read a lot about like instances where um, East Asian youth, especially of Chinese descent, were um, like threatened um, and some even endured physical attacks. So my father told me a lot about these stories and it really like escalated to the point that like I didn't know that I would have to teach my parents like um like words in defense if someone were to say something like really mean or commit some act of violence toward them so I wanted to create this book um that has both some of my personal experiences um like as a girl living in a western country so some of the topics that I talk about in my book include um the falsification of the model minority myth which like for those people that don't know the model minority myth includes some things like the stereotype of like all Asians being smug. Um, and then I talk about like, I highlight some uh, important traditions and events in East Asian cultures, such as Chinese New Year. And I even add on a couple like whimsical poems about um, like traditional foods, such as um, Yakult um, and dumplings and Chinese New Year. So these are all some of the things that I talk about um, because I want to be able to create a relatability factor to East Asian youth and show them how diverse and rich East Asian culture is, especially during these times where connectivity seems so hard to achieve. 
That's amazing. Um, and I, as like a fellow East Asian um, youth, uh, that it's so cool that you're being able to kind of share a little bit more about our culture that is not as mainstream, I'll say. Um, and I think it came at the perfect time. Uh, could you dive a little bit deeper as to what inspired you to write your book, um, The Acts of like Xenophobia Against East Asians During the Pandemic? So provide, providing a little bit of context or like, I should say like the mood of the interview. Um, when I was little, I grew up in a Caucasian neighborhood. So I was always like aware of my differences. So some of this being that like I, during um, at least one class of the day, I always went to do attend these like English extra help sessions. And also like just being aware that like the school lunches that I brought made me feel disconnected um, from my peers. And some of these food include like chives that I know. Um, this is like a specific mo- like movement called, which is like the lunchbox, mo- lunchbox moment, which is um, with a lot of this moment that a lot of East Asian um, youth feel um, where they bring food to school and it's like hated upon or called like um, it's stinky or it's uh, like ew. Um, so that was also something that I experienced. So um, with my time at home during the pandemic, I was able to appreciate my culture more. And that's why I wanted to create this book to kind of share my story and my experience that um, turned from a personal experience to a shared experience. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, I, I It's so cool that you were able to kind of like turn that you know, event that could have been very isolating. Um, and you, you now take like pride in it and you're, you're proud of it, which is so inspiring. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you got there? Um, what, what kind of switched in your mind to, you know, from like kind of shame to like pride? Ooh, uh, that's a difficult question. I would say definitely, um, support from my parents over the years. Um, as well as my friends. And because like my parents and both both of them immigrated to Canada before I was born. So for them, it was also this like learning curve of learning the new language and finding a stable job. So um, definitely I had a lot of support growing up because like, although the rest of my relatives were all back in China, um, we often like do calls um, through WeChat and even during Chinese New Year, we do like virtual calls with each other. Um, so definitely just like knowing that I have the support behind me and knowing that like my culture is something that I'm, I shouldn't be ashamed of, um, which I used to be, which I'm so happy that um, I was able to uh, get past, which is also why I want to include this in my book to um, hopefully ease the transition and help more East Asian youth like me know that the culture is never something that they should be afraid of or ashamed of. Yeah, 100%. And um, kind of going back to how this pandemic has been perpetuating a lot of, you know, harsh attitudes towards East Asians, um, particularly a Chinese descent. Um, could you talk about how COVID-19 has affected all of that? For sure. Um, I definitely feel like like these issues were obviously prevalent before, but I feel like COVID-19 really um, escalated that because um, in social media and how everything is virtual, everyone is like, uh, it's so easy to spread fake news. And I think that this really like escalated to the point that I couldn't believe that like East Asians had been doing like physical attacks from this. So I really thought that um, it was really important to really bring up these issues during like a timely, in a timely manner and in a time that like really needs it. So although um, I know, although like 
it's just me creating a book. I hope that for anyone that reads it, it's able to maybe um, touch on like a specific moment that they could relate to. Um, so like, for example, one one poem in my book talks about, um, I'm sure for all the, the East Asian youth listeners that you have, um, they might know this. It's like this cookie box called like the um, Royal Danish, I don't know the name, but it's, yes, it's this I cookie know what box you're talking that, about. Mm-hmm, that people turn into like they started using it instead I know my mom does like in um with like sewing materials so I t- at one poem I take a creative approach on that so through my poems um some of them more serious than others I try to um cr- create like just this like maybe this nostalgia moment for um, my to read my readers yeah that, that's amazing and I I think um, there, I'm forgetting like who said this, I will figure it out and quote it later, but uh, there's this quote that says like, you know, the more we understand each other and the more that you can see yourself in another person, the more you're able to empathize. And I, I think your book is doing a great job of that, you know, cause you're getting to know a new culture or maybe you're kind of looking at a different perspective within your own. Um, that's really powerful. So I, I have no doubt that your book is doing all that and more. Um, besides kind of like education and reading your book, I will say, what are other ways that listeners can contribute to lessening the prejudice against East Asians? Um, I definitely think donating and supporting organizations and groups that work um, to support like East Asian youth or just any other minority group. Um, But I think more importantly, just being open-minded and being more aware is one of the hardest yet most effective ways to reduce the prejudice against East Asians or just any other minority group, group. Because I think that change starts from being uncomfortable and being okay with it. So I know that like with the pandemic, with the surge of like youth organizations and media outlets, it would be, I feel like it would be wrong for someone to say that like they didn't have the resources to be educated. Like there's so much um, information out there for you to just like do a, do a quick Google search just to find that. I think so definitely just like being more aware and being more open-minded and, be, and being able to accept that um, maybe this belief that you have is wrong and it's old and being able to accept and change that. I love that. And what you just said about kind of like, you know, change happens when we're uncomfortable. That was phenomenal. And it's so true, right? Um, I think when it comes to like race and culture, people tend to sidestep. Um, but I, I think the more we have open conversations about it, share experiences, it does get better. So I, I love that advice. I would 100% agree. Um, and, you know, going back to your book, has anyone actually reached out to you about how that book has impacted them or, you know, what they liked from it? Yeah, for sure. So I've actually had a couple of people like directly message me on Instagram um, telling me about like the relatability fact and how, um, like, for example, like that cookie box moment that I mentioned earlier, someone actually messaged me about that. And they said, oh, I totally get that. And this happened to me because um, like also in my poems, what I have is that um, at the end of each poem, I have this sort of like a did you know box where I talk about like the, the issue or the event that happened that is like relating to the poem. So in that poem, I talked about how um, this tradition, it wasn't a tradition, but it sort of became like a tradition um, and how that it wasn't just like East Asian um, people that kind of did this, like it soon spread world, worldwide. Cause as, as I was doing research, I found this like Reddit thread of people like in Mexico doing it as well. And I thought like, oh, I thought it was just like my family or something, but it, um, yeah, but people like sending me messages talking about how like, oh, I get this too. And this, I could relate to this. Um, that's like, that was more, more more important to me than actually like the number of people that bought my book but more like the inspirational messages um, from youth all around the world 
That's amazing. That must have been so amazing to start receiving. You you published a book and people are kind of uh, letting you know that it impacted them exactly how you intended to. Um, that's, that's so powerful. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I kind of just spoiled it, but what do you hope <laughs> readers or not readers? Yeah. What do you hope readers are, you know, gaining from your book and how do you hope it broadens their perspective? So I sort of mentioned this earlier um, in the in the podcast, but I definitely want to create a relatability factor for my readers and letting them know um, if it if it is East Asian youth, but just any youth to know how diverse and rich East Asian culture is, and also just to show the world this um, and that the culture isn't something that they should be like ashamed of. And through my book, I hope that they can you know have a sense of bring maybe bring back um, some nostalgia, but just like being able to um, know that like your unique uniqueness is what makes what sets you apart and it's something that should be embraced we are going to take a short break but we will be right back for more questions with sarah During this pandemic, there has been an alarming rise of xenophobia and discrimination towards East Asians. Sarah's book, One Point in Time, strives to help foster more empathy, and it features a compilation of free verse poems that depict the shared experiences of East Asian youth growing up in a westernized country. From dumplings to the model minority myth, this book is the absolute perfect read for East Asian youth who may feel a little bit disconnected from their roots, or anyone who's interested in learning more about East Asian culture. You can purchase a copy on Amazon by searching One Point in Time to All the East Asian Youth by Sarah Guo. Alright, let's get started on the second half of the interview. Welcome back from the break. So in this segment, I want to kind of focus more about you as a writer and the publishing process for any listeners who are interested. Um, So what inspired your love for writing? So to be honest, I never was really like a writer when I was growing up. I'm like, I was always that kid that like on my report card, my teachers would be like, I think Sarah would benefit from reading more books to like (laughs) increase her knowledge. Um, But it wasn't until like high school that like I actually started to enjoy writing more because like when I had really supporting teachers that were willing to um, like read over my work and give me feedback, but because I started to gain more confidence in myself that I was willing to um, create more like writing. Um, And I think that what, really um, inspired my love for writing was the fact that I could use writing as a form of self-expression. So that's what I did through my book um, in response to the COVID-19 pandemic, which has been the really big catalyst for my book. What kind of sets, you know, poetry and writing apart from other forms of expression that you've tried? All the different types of writing, they all have their own like unique characteristics and things that set them apart. Um, And I think that they all like, one's not worse than the other. And it, but I think with poetry, um, I think because like the form that I did was I chose to do free verse poetry, which is a form of poetry that where you don't have to stick to like the structure, the structure and the rhyme. Like you don't have to do like the form ABAB and it doesn't have to rhyme. So in that sense, it's, I feel like it's a little bit easier than some other types of poetry. But with free verse, you really get this like raw portrayal and um, you can sort of create what, like you're able to create what you want to create. So um I think with poetry, what's different from some other types of writing, I would say is just, I feel like 
you get this more self-expression that could happen, but obviously this can happen with other forms as well. And then kind of looking at your publishing process, what was that like for you? Because you are a self-publisher, which I'm sure a lot of people are interested in listening on the other end. Um, So I actually had a really smooth process with self-publishing. So um, when doing research, um, because when I knew I wanted to do a book, create create a book, I decided to do research. And then I started to weigh the pros and cons between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And then I found that like with traditional publishing, often you have to find like a publishing house and it often takes like a lot of years to do Whereas, like if you do self-publishing, it will take a lot more work on your part because you have to advertise and market. But it's, it's ultimately like a faster route. So I decided to go through that. And then I found um, Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing, also known as Amazon KDP. And it's this platform that was created by Amazon where authors can self-publish. And they give you, um, like, of course, there's pros and cons as well. But it really allows you to um, be able to get that experience of self-publishing and um, actually holding a physical, like, product that you created that you spent a lot of hours creating so um like inside a note they apparently the prices are like 60 40 because um what my what I, the route that I chose was like basically I um, upload my document with all my uh with all the uh, content in my book and then what they do is they do the printing and the distributing so then um they say apparently it's like 60 40 but like for example my book sells for like 857 like in Canadian money from one book being sold I only get about 40 cents so I don't know if that's like 60 40 but um that's just some information like there's definitely pros and cons like some of the the pros obviously is that you know you get a physical book that you can hold of your hard work and you're able to get that experience of publishing a book but the cons is that unless you sell a lot a lot of books like you don't get that much profit so look if you're in for the profit then maybe consider like a different route um but in terms of like actually publishing um i would say it was a relatively overall like good experience for me there's just some things to keep note of because there's like margin sizes that you have to make sure all your writing is like within or then you risk some parts being cut off um and also just make just making sure like for any writers that are thinking of self-publishing make sure that you read all of the guidelines um because they have like a bunch of things that you need to like cohere to and if you don't then they're not going to like approve of it because every single time you make an update you, you they sent off to um, Amazon, and then they take at least a day to approve it and get back to you, and then you can move forward. So just making sure that you read everything and um, just knowing like exactly what you want from your book. What would you say to someone who loves writing and who wants to share their story and message, but doesn't necessarily feel as confident to do so? Um, I think this it might require more work, but I think what um, you could do is example, um, if you and a group of friends are all working on like a school assignment or um, all writing something, or like just find a group of people that are doing similar things as you. And then maybe if you want, do it anonymously. So share it anonymously. So you don't know who's who. So that way it's not like if you give someone that work, they're like, they're going to purposely, they're going to know it's you. So you don't have to have that feeling of um, you don't have to be scared. So I think you could you could do it anonymously. Um, or if you have a teacher who's willing to read it over or someone older, like a parent, although that can be scary too. too but like definitely if you're able to find someone that could be willing to look over your work, I think that's definitely beneficial. Um, but I think what really helped me was just being able, being able to filter out like what was important and actually beneficial for my artwork and what was just sort of like 
um, criticism. And but I think like being able to decipher between constructive criticism and just like the negative criticism, that's super important. And just knowing like, is this person's advice gonna help my piece? And if not, then maybe you don't want to listen to it. But if it is, then take that into heart, even if it's something that requires a lot of work. So I know that sometimes people don't really take in the advice from others because it's like you expect them to only give you a couple little fixes, but if it's something big, then you're more unwilling to accept it. So I think definitely getting over that and just getting over that barrier and being able to um, take in what is important and being able to um, fix your work according to that. Well, you know, before I get carried away asking a bajillion questions myself, we do have a couple submitted questions for our Q&A segment um, via Instagram. So if anyone listening wants to start submitting questions too, you can follow at the Bright Eyed Pod on Instagram. Uh, Katie from Kutar asks, how do you stay motivated through the grind when things go wrong? Which I think is a great question. Mm-hmm, for sure. Hmm. I feel like I'm expected to say something like complicated, but sometimes I think motivation for me, motivation just lies in the fact that it's, a, it's whatever I'm doing, it's going to be over. Um, and I think that like, I don't mean this in a, like a negative, but like in a positive light that sometimes like, um, if example, you're losing motivation, think about how much work you already put in and how much is left. And I think that like this, there's that quote that's like, um, making slow progress is better than making no progress. I think that as long as you keep on going, then motivation will, it will come back. It's just like a matter of time. And maybe like, um, if you're doing something for like three hours straight and you're losing motivation, then what really helps for me is, um, go leaving my workspace and just leaving that area, going to grab some snacks, grab some food. And then for me, um, because I, I don't really, um, like you could go to a park or like walk, take a walk. Um, and for me, it's kind of funny because I just like, rather than actually going on a walk, I just like take a, a couple circles in my backyard um, and then that's it. And then I come back in. Um, but I think that definitely helps. Um, so being able to just leave and then come back because then you, you come back with fresh eyes and that you're able to um, like find out what maybe what went wrong or like spark more motivation. But I think um, what's also helpful in terms of motivation is just that like if you're losing motivation um, or if you're doing, if you can't come up with new ideas, like especially in the arts where like creativity is like key, just jot down whatever you can. And then um, even if it's bad, like just have something down that way you can come back and then you can fix it. Like having something there is better than having nothing there. Um, I I agree 100%. And I I do think that as creatives, you know, thinking of ideas is always the most challenging part. Um, So great question, Natalie. Thanks for submitting. Uh, We have another anonymously asked question, which is what inspired your writing style? Hmm. I would say my, at least for my poem, my writing style of using free was poetry was inspired by the Chilean poet Pablo Neruda. So a little bit of background on him. Um, he was a politician and poet who really used a lot of beautiful um, imagery to depict like the current issues that he va- valued. So that was, um, I read a couple poems in English class because that's what I knew him from, but he wrote a, like a lot of pieces that sort of talked about the negative effects of the Spanish Civil War. So he used like a lot of visual imagery, a lot of diction. Like he was very, very, um, like his diction, it was very purposeful. Like they all mattered and he used a lot of symbolism as well. So I really wanted to emulate that in my poem. So in my poem, um, as I was writing it, I would write one draft and then I would sort of read a couple of his pieces and then also um, 
to research and read more about the topic or event that my poem is talking about. And then I would go back and then adjust it. And then obviously, similar to getting feedback, I got my sister and my parents to read my poem before actually including it in the book. Um. Well, that is all the Q&A questions submitted, which means we have reached the end of the interview. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I absolutely loved getting to talk about, you know, poetry and East Asian culture. Um, This is a very fun interview for me. Um, Well, before we head out, though, I do have one last question. If the whole world was listening to you right now, what would you say? If the whole world was listening to me right now, um, first of all, I would be very honored that the whole world is listening to me. <laughs> um, but I would say, like, to all East Asian youth, BIPOC, and, like, a- any kind of youth, and you don't have to be, a mi- like, a minority youth, just with anyone, um, I would say don't be afraid to embrace the culture and your identity, even if everyone around you is saying no. So sometimes it's so easy to self-doubt, and it takes a lot of courage and confidence to stand up for what you believe in, but I think this is most important because we're not, we didn't come to this world to just be the same as everyone else. We came to be ourselves. And I think that beauty lies in um, everyone's uniqueness and being unique. So that would be my message. Just um, embrace who you are, love yourself, speak yourself. That's that's actually a quote from uh, one of my favorite bands, BTS, um, which if anyone doesn't know, they're they're like like world-class Korean boy band, but definitely love yourself, speak yourself, and do what you think is good for you. Um, And then once you do that, then you start to create a ripple effect on those around you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review and follow at the Bright Eyed Pod on Instagram for more inspiring content. Now we took a little break, but monthly Minnesotes are officially back. The March Minnesota will be released this Friday, March 26th. So stay tuned for that. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you all soon. Bye.